Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Can you multitask while you're doing that? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we're attentive. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open to what the Spirit of God has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 3. Last week, Mike Plain was here. And he had a lot to say in two messages. And he met with us several times, and there was so much. And so what we want to try to do today is kind of bring all that into perspective and, and bring that into a place of practicality. So let's start in Joshua chapter 3. And I'm going to read, beginning in verse 5, and I'm going to read all the way through 17, and this is probably the only scripture we will really look up today, so hang with me, okay? And I've got a lot to say, a lot of information. I'm going to try to get it all out, do it quickly, so hang on. And it may take a little participation on your part, so be ready, okay? Don't sit there and look stoned. Verse 5, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel and they will know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Last week, Mike Plain talked about, and I am at 100 totally percent agreement, we are in a shift right now. We are the, at this place where we need to go to the Jordan, get off the shore, and get in and go somewhere, okay? You shall command the priests to bear the ark, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water, we're at the edge of the water right now, you shall stand in the Jordan. They'd never done that before. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God, living, he's alive. God doesn't change. He is always faithful. He's always loving. He's always merciful. He's always mighty. But his methods change. He expects us to move. The living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jerusites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the water of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp, that's important, when they set out from their camp, they had to leave the camp, okay, get that, they had to leave the camp, they couldn't camp here anymore, they had to go out, they had to put everything down and trust God that he was going to do something different. To cross over the Jordan, when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as 
those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. Nobody had ever done this before. God had never done this before. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in the heap very far away at Adam, the, the city that is beside Zaratan, so that the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea failed and they were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. They had wandered for 40 years. Now God said it was time to move. And something new happened. Now, there's a lot of churches out there. Mike Plain talked about there are churches that are full of lots of people but not the Spirit of God. And there are churches that have lots of people and there is the Spirit of God. There's churches that are small that have the Spirit of God and some that don't. But one of the reasons a lot of these big mega churches have lots of people but not the spirit of God is because they're run by marketers people that are professional marketers they know how to market the people and bring them in and one thing that is smart and and interesting and I you've heard this so I'm not going to try to spend a long time about it but these marketers worldly and church marketers look at generations of people and what are their characteristics what are they like how can we get them to buy our products? How can we get them in? And there's, there's lots of generations. So this is where I need your help. You've all heard of, and I'm going through this. You've heard this before, but I'm going to try to bring it to your remembrance. The greatest generation. You've heard of them. They are the ones that went through adulthood. Now, in some of these generations, there's kind of sub-generations. And in the greatest generation, they pretty much divided in two. One is the GI generation. I do not think that we have anybody in this generation. I was not expecting you, Fulbert. I don't know where you are, but is there anybody here that was born before 1924? Don't want to put you on the line, but anybody here born before 1924? And I didn't do the math in my head, so don't be offended. <laughs> you weren't born. I know. So we have nobody in the GI generation here. They are the ones that went before us. Our parents were the GI generation, okay? They, came, they call them the greatest generation because they went through the Great Depression. They went through the Great War. They were the survivors, the conquerors that came through and then built this nation in the 50s and, and so on. That was the first half of the greatest generation. The second half of the generation, I think we have some people in that group. They are called the silent generation. I don't know why, because I think Sandy's in it, and I wouldn't consider her silent generation, but regardless, there's all, you know, it isn't completely cut and dried. The silent generation goes from 1925 to 1945, born in that period. If you were born between 1925 and 1945, stand up. Nutter, I know you were. I know Jensen's were. I know, okay. Okay, 1925 to 1945. They experienced World War II in childhood. They were kind of the beginning of the civil rights movement. You can sit down. 
let me give you some characteristics of this great generation. The early ones were the World War II generation, the fighters. They, they came through the Depression, the big war. They were excellent team players, community-minded, strongly interested in morality and near absolute standards of right and wrong. They had a strong sense of civic duty. They always voted. Yes. Always voted. Extremely patriotic. Marriage was for life. Strong loyalty to jobs, groups, and schools. They had no retirement plan. They worked until they couldn't work anymore. They came through the Depression. They understand you use it up, fix it up, make it do or do without. They avoided debt. They saved and bought with cash. Okay? You understand where I'm going? Okay. Then the second, the second group, the silent generation, still part of the greats, but they call them the the silent generation, they were born between, what, 26 and 24 and 45. They went through their formative years during suffocating conformity. You were patriotic. You were not communist. You, there was, okay? But during this, but they also lived through this great post-war prosperity and happiness. Peace, jobs, suburbs, television, rock and roll, cars, and Playboy magazine. They are the Korean and the Vietnam War generation. They were the first drumbeats of civil rights movement. They are pre-feminism women. They generally stayed home to raise their children. But if they did work, it was jobs like teachers, nurses, and secretaries. The men pledged loyalty to their company, to their corporation. Once you got a job, you kept it for life, and you were faithful. They are, get this, younger generation, they are the richest, most free-spending retirees in history. They have funded the church today. Okay? Marriage is for life. In grade school, the greatest teacher complaints were about them passing notes and chewing gum. They are avid readers, especially newspapers. Retirement means sitting in a rocking chair and enjoying life. They were the big band swing music generation. They have a strong sense of transgenerational values, more absolute values, but not as much as the ones ahead of them. They are disciplined, self-sacrificing, and cautious. Okay? Then is the boomer generation. Okay, that's it. So, I'm sorry, Sandy. I made you older than you were. Forgive me, please. That's what I said. Don't get offended with me. Okay, the baby boomers is probably the largest generation by population ever. Okay, 46 to 64. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, stand up. I know people are going to learn how old you are, but that's all right. Okay. Thank you. You may sit down. Characteristics. There are two subsets in the baby boomers. Okay? The boom generation, the hippie generation. Um, they are, our group is the Save the World Revolutionaries of the 60s and the 70s. Nonconformists. Rebel. Okay? Stand up for what you disagree for. March on Washington. Do something. Change the world. Okay? And then the second half of the generation 
is the more party-hardy career climbers, the yuppies that Phil Robertson talks about, okay, of the 70s and 80s. Now, I think, and like I said, this can't be totally cut and dried. I think we, he and I are five months apart. I'm five months older than he is. I think I tend to be more characterized with the older boomers. He's more with the younger boomers. I'm more nonconformist, more rebellious, rebellious. At the other hand, I was raised by a mother that was raised by pioneers of her grandparents, more conservative financially. He was more the partier, okay? So there is a difference. Also, if you find out this younger group, well, we'll wait and go there. Anyway, okay, we'll go there later. Okay, our generation, there's good points and bad points in every generation. Our generation is considered the me generation, extremely self-centered, okay? The rock and roll music generation ushered in the free love societal nonviolent protests, which triggered into violence. Self-righteous, self-centered, buy it now, use credit, okay? Too busy for much neighborly involvement, yet strong desires to resist or change the common values for the good of all. Even though the mothers were generally housewives, they were the ones responsible for child rearing. We are the first TV generation, the first divorce generation, but optimistic, driven, and team-oriented. We can envision technology, but it frustrates us because we have to learn how to do it. It doesn't come naturally. We tend to be more positive about authority. We are one of the largest generations in history with 77 million plus people. Our aging will change America incomprehensibly because we are a very generous generation. Okay? We are very independent. This generation is leaders, decisive, and they are the go-to people in a crisis. Those are the good things. Generation X, born between 65 and 80. Okay, if you're born between 65 and 80, please stand up. Generation X, the Gen Xs. Okay? Thank you, you may sit down. Divided into two. Baby busters who experienced the Vietnam War, the Cold War, and then the MTV generation, those that have experienced the rise of mass media, the end of the Cold War, etc., etc. They are the first latchkey kids. See, I think that's the difference between he and I. My mom was omnipresent. She didn't work. She was always at home. We didn't go places. His mom worked, had a career, He was a pre-latchkey kid, and that made a big difference in the change in this generation. They are the latchkey kids that grew up street smart but isolated. They were not as in touch with their parents, their grandparents, and their great-grandparents. There wasn't that close tie like there had been in generations before. They are more entrepreneurial. They like to start jobs. They are very individualistic individualistic. They do not have the strong family and generational ties that the previous generations have enjoyed. The lack of family security has caused them to be the great 
helicopter parent generation. Who in our family is the helicopter? Because he didn't have the security of having his folks home all the time. He even helicopters our dog. You know, when it drips, he has to wipe its mouth off. <laughs> so this is the great helicopter generation. They have really watched, and, and because of things that have gone on with school shootings, those tendencies, those things happen for a reason. We are formed by what has happened in our life. Um, now, I'm, I'm not saying this. I read this. This generation is the Facebook generation. Because they didn't have so many relationship ties, they desire those relationships. They connect with Facebook, but that continues to go on that the relationships aren't as deep. They're kind of superficial, okay? They want to connect, but have a little trouble connecting at a, at a deep level. They desire a chance to learn, explore, and make a contribution. Very accomplishment-oriented. We're going to get out and do it, although not interested so much in government and in what's going on. Our generation wanted to change the world. That generation wants to change their neighborhood. Okay? A beginning obsession of individual rights prevailing over the common good, especially if it is applicable to a minority group. They were raised by career and money-conscious boomers. School problems were about drugs. They made, married later. They were quick to divorce. They are into name brands and labels. What they want now, what they want, they want it now without struggling for it. So many of them are deeply in credit card debt. It is going to affect the church in years to come if that doesn't change. Because they can't give like the ones that don't have the debt. Um, it, it has been researched that they may be more conversationally shallow because relating consists of shared time watching videos instead of the previous generations. Short on loyalty, wary of commitment, all values are relative, self-absorbed, suspicious of organizations, cautious, skeptical, but self-reliant. Okay, then we have the next generation. Generation Y are the millennials. If you were born between 1981 and 2000, please stand up. We have, we have a good, diverse group, don't we? We have, a, we have I wanted to see this because I wanted to see how many from each generation. And we have pretty equal parts. But we got a lot of these guys. Good, sit down. The older generation, you still have pages in your book to write. So you can't quit. This generation... You've got whole books to write yet. We don't, they don't even know completely what you're going to be, be because you haven't walked it out yet. But just let's look at this in the church. 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, what was our parking lot covered with? 
skateboarding ramps. This generation liked skateboarding ramps, and we had kids out skateboarding all the time. And they're kind of, I think the generations are kind of speeding up because there's six, only six years difference between him and him. But when Gunner and Chase and Tanner and Micah were in junior high, what was on the parking lot? The skate parks left and the football came, remember? They could hardly beat it out the door till they were out there throwing a football or shooting baskets. They put the cage in over there to accommodate this generation, okay? Now, the last two summers, we're starting a new junior high group. What's been on the parking lot? Nothing. For the last two summers, they've hardly walked out the door to put their feet on the grass or the pavement because this generation is really into technology. They're into more out indoor activities, sitting around. They like to visit. They like to connect a little more. They're it's different. Every group is different. And, and Mike Plain was talking about this younger group are not impressed by monologue. They're not interested. They aren't either. They're not interested in me up here too much, just talking to them. They want to have input. They want the dialogue, the sit around in the table, the group, the shoot the breeze, to connect a little more. Okay? So... Those are basically those generations. Now, I looked that up on the computer, and then I made my own. This is the church generations, okay? All those that were born before 1964, and this is just mine, a little bit sarcastic in some areas, okay? But all those that were born before 1964, I call the pioneer generation of this move of church. If you were born again during the 60s and the 70s, you came to your spiritual growth in the, in the charismatic revival. And probably my age and Mike's were kind of toward the tail end of that. Dean and Jean, I know, can tell you all kinds of things about that. And Larry and some of these guys. Sandy and Tealens and Mary Jane, they were here in this church and Pultz before we were, okay? Pioneer, they were the generation of the church that grew up in traditional churches with traditional music, and the 60s and 70s came along, and they left the traditional churches. They had never sung anything other than hymns before, and now the choruses came into being. This is the day, this is the day. You know, those kinds of choruses had never been sung before. Okay? They left the traditional churches. They pioneered the new contemporary churches. This generation in the church is not so bothered by thinking that music or services have to be a certain way for God to move because they've understood and can see how many different ways God's done it. So not so locked in. That God can have a God will do a strong can do a strong move. He can transcend change in those things. 
Then I think we came in to the next move of God, which was the Word of Faith movement, which is why we're here, because of these pioneers and the Word of Faith movement. This was the movement of the 80s, 90s, and I think there were three subcultures in this group. Number one, and this is where I get a little sarcastic, we have the prayer line and the prophecy generation. This group loved to go to services six, seven nights a week, and every night there would be a prayer line, and they would prophesy over you, and this group did not think unless there was a prayer line and prophecy that God had moved. And then there was the prosperity movement. Some of that is still hanging on. Prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. The name it and claim it gang. Speak it and call it into being. And both of these groups expected God to do great things, but because of lack of personal responsibility, they did not mature too much spiritually. They just wanted God to do it. Put in 50 cents in the offering plate, run to the mailbox the next day and expect a half a meal. (laughs) Okay, that's what it was. Looking back, the third subculture is the praise and worship generation. This group, so many of the ones that have maybe what, post born post-1980, have never been really in the old traditional churches, have never known anything but a church like this. And we went through this thing that worship brought in the anointing. And it does. God wants you to prosper. Don't despise the day of prophecy. God Prayer lines and prophecies, there's nothing wrong with that. Great worship teams, there's nothing wrong with that. God brought that for that time in that culture. But this is the problem with those three subcultures, with any subculture. Just like the Israelites, they camped there. They couldn't understand how God could do anything else than what he was doing. So they camped there. And if you go back and read a little further, when they camped there, they went into a place where they quit worshiping God and they started worshiping idols. And what happens is if you get into one of these movements and you camp there, it can easily become an idol. We can worship worship instead of worshiping God. Right now, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I forewarned Abe, this isn't him personally. This is the church world. Most Christian music right now is not very anointed. It's lousy. Jasmine, there are new songs out there to be written for a new generation. That are anointed. anointed. God wants to do it. He's in that shift right now. We can't get stuck in the old camp. And a couple of months ago, I did a message on the ebb and the flow. So You've got to do that ebb. Sometimes you've got to drop everything and just wait for God to do it. Wait till God says, move. You can't build, begin to idolize something. Back in the 
talk about the charismatic movement back when we just got born again in the early 70s. There was a big revival in the Methodist church in Monroe, Nebraska. And my, we, all we had ever had was organ music. And they thought God couldn't do anything but organ music. And my best friend's dad loved organ music, so he bought her an organ and had her take lessons. But she and I were very nonconformist. So when this movement started to take place, sometimes they let her play the organ instead of the old lady that had played for the last 40 years. At this time, maybe some of you have heard this story, at this time, the TV show MASH was very popular. Remember MASH with Alan Alda? And it had a great music score. So what she did, there wasn't a lot of great Christian music at this time other than the old hymns, so she took the MASH song, organized it a little, slowed it down just a tad, and I'm telling you, it was anointed. <laughs> it was a, the old people loved it. They didn't even recognize it as the MASH song. <laughs> and we had this choir, and we didn't care, you know, what we sang, as long as it mentioned God, you know. What were some of these songs? Why Me, Lord, and Bridge Over Troubled Water. They had nothing to do with, but because our hearts were right, God used them. We can't get locked in. God wants to do some new things. It's important that we don't, don't get stuck and think that God can't do something new. I grew up, how much time do I have? Have I got time yet? A couple more stories. When I grew up, they didn't have much for girls' sports. And then in the 70s, they passed Title IX. Title IX said that the schools had to provide equal opportunities in sports for girls as well as boys. And we got the Reader's Digest. And I read the article in the Reader's Digest about this. And all I had ever wanted to do was play sports. So my, I got my buddies together and we went to the school board because we were nonconformists. We were going to change the world. And we said, read this. You have to do this for us. We have to have a basketball team. And our volleyball team needs to get better. And and because we didn't have it, we wanted it so bad. You know how that is sometimes? The grass is greener, you want it so bad. So then we went to my, my buddy, my organ player buddy, and I went to Platt College, which is now Central Community College, Columbus. And we played volleyball. We played on the third team that had ever existed at the college. We had a great team. I'm the first team in the air that had gone to the national tournament, and we were a bunch of nonconformist rowdies. That's what they called us, the rowdies. And we played, we had the first basketball team. A couple years ago, uh, the team was inducted into the Central Community College Hall of Fame, and we went down, and it was so much fun. We were still just as all rowdy. But all they talked about all night were 
They're the pioneers. They're the old ones. <laughs> but I loved it so much. It was my idol. And I figured it out. It was my idol. And God wanted me to move. So that's when I decided to go to Oral Roberts University. And I wrote down there, and I said, I'll give it all up, God. I'll give it all up for you. But I wrote down there to see if they had a volleyball team. (laughs) And I got this weird letter back. It said, no, we don't have a volleyball team. The only two sports we have for girls at Oral Roberts University is field hockey and gymnastics. Field hockey and well, okay, I'll give it all up anyway. God, I will give this up for you. I'm going to just give the sports. I know I love it. It's an idol. I gave it up. I don't know where that letter came from. I still have it somewhere. I got down there. They had a volleyball team. had a great basketball team. I knew they were too good for me. I'd only played one year in Monroe, you know, because Oklahoma had girls basketball. But I thought, I can check with God. He said, okay, go out for the volleyball team. And you know what? It was the biggest, best, one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. God took me places and blessed me exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I could ask or think. If I hadn't quit and laid the idol down, it never would have happened. It's right where we are now. We've got to lay the idols down, whatever they are. And, and because God can't work through the idols, but he can work through us trusting him. He's got to get us to that point. Today's society is a... You know, and we talk about all these generations. In my book, in my mind, if you are alive today, we're all one generation, really. We're all living this whole thing. We're all experiencing right now. And the only way you can get out of this generation is just to clock out and go to heaven. But we are in one generation today. And this generation, today's society, is a culture that has is centered around risk aversion we've got security cameras up we have locks on the doors we have to be always conscious of insurance liability things the schools are absolutely full and the government and even churches and christians full of rules and regulations that have tried to conform us. There is a fear of change. There is a fear of failure. There is a fear of not conforming. We've got to break out of that. There are some things I'm tired of personally. I'm tired of political correctness in the church as well as the government. Just tell me flat out. And I think if I'm tired of some of these things, There's other people that are tired of some of these things because we're all in the same generation. Speak the truth flat out with honesty and humility. I'm tired of frivolous spending. Churches and government. There's a ministry that's trying to raise $65 million so he can have his own private jet to fly around. I'm sick of it. There are 
65 million reasons I can think not to do that. Okay? I think people are tired of governments and churches just spending their money on frivolous things. Let's spend it on something that counts. I'm tired of grandiose schemes and ideas in both the church and the government. Folks, we are not going to have 3,000 people in this church by next week. It just isn't going to happen unless God parts the Red Sea. And there's no Red Sea out there right now. That's why we need to simplify it. We need to uncomplicate it. Forget the grandiose schemes. I think right now people are interested in in something that's authentic, something that's real, something that's not really very complicated. Let's just sit down and shoot the breeze a little bit. Let's, I think that we have gone into an era where we've forgotten how to have fun. Amen. Just enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. I'm tired of useless rules, regulations, stringent policies with no common sense in both church and government. The one thing, uh, you know, I talked about the three subcultures of the Word of Faith movement. We did lots of things to try to please God. And in our pleasing God, we wanted to do it because we wanted to make God move. God's more interested in our heart than in our rules and regulations. If your heart's right, you're going to live right. Let's take the time just to get our hearts right. Okay? Mark 7.13 says, The traditions of man make the word of God ineffectual. It also, this is my translation, it also causes his people to become dull, lifeless, and absent of joy. Matthew 11.30, God's yoke is light and easy to bear. Psalm 55.19 says, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. We're going to make some changes. You know, we're going on. We need to simplify. We're going to make some changes this summer. And I've, one thing is, one thing we've determined of needs. We ha- we're here partly to meet your needs. What are your needs? And I don't think anybody here in this congregation, one of the things of this generation is we're so busy, 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 busy. There's no one here that needs another night of activity in their life. We've got enough to do. Man, I love when I don't have anything for one evening out of the week. So, he, he will announce this more specifically later. Well, this summer, instead of having Monday night prayer and Wednesday night service, we're going to do it all in one night on Wednesday nights. We're going to simplify. We've visited with the Austins. We will not do as much youth group this summer, but what we do will be fun. There's going to be fun activities. What's the purpose of coming to church if you can't have fun? That's the only reason I went to church in the Methodist church is because we had great ball games at the recess of Vacation Bible School. It should be fun. We've got to simplify. 
in, in the months of, what, June, July, and August, we will not have the first Wednesday night of the month home fellowship. We will not even have church. Your assignment is to go out, do something different, meet somebody new, have some fun, enjoy life a little bit. Yes. We will make the rules and regulations that you have to do this. (laughs) We will have church the rest of the month on Wednesdays, just not in June, July, and August, not the first Wednesday of the month. Okay? We can't get stuck in the camp. It's time to get up, get out, get outside of the four walls of this church relate to some people, learn from some people, enjoy life a little, trust God enough that he can do it. And then I think when we get out of this idle mentality, have to do this, have to do this, have to sing this song this way, have to pray this way, God's going to do a fresh thing. We're in that shift. We're in the beginning stages. And you know what? We might make some mistakes, but when you make mistakes, all you have to do is reevaluate and shift again. Okay? Larry Belts grew up in the generation of you shifted a lot. Okay? Not afraid of shifting into another gear. Our, this younger generation just drive, park. drive. But first, second, third, all we have to do is shift a little bit. And, and it's probably going to be a shifting process. Because when something's new, you kind of got to put your foot in. Uh huh. It's going to take a little, but we can do it. We're going on. God's going on. The next two years, I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot happening. And it's got to happen in the church before it can happen in the government. And God wants to do it. He's waiting. So, so just get ready. Get out of the camp. Break the idols, and let's go on with things. Amen. I got to go to the bathroom. God bless you. Have a good week.